I wonder how many rich people that we have in church today. Do any of you consider yourself to be rich? Yeah? You consider yourself to be rich? We are, we're rich in blessings, aren't we? But what about financially rich and materially rich? I wonder if you consider yourself to be one of those who God would consider to be materially rich, rich in possessions. Did you know America is one of the richest nations on the planet? According to Gallup, if you are earning a poverty level income in America, your income is greater than the average income of people in Belgium, in Chile, in Estonia, in Greece, in Hungary, in Ireland, in Italy, in Mexico, in Poland, in Portugal, in Slovakia, in Spain, or in Turkey. If you're earning a poverty level income, you earn more than the average income of people in those countries. And so <clears throat> the people living at a poverty level income in America would be considered as rich by most of the people in those countries and in some areas of our world people would feel extremely blessed just to be able to have our garbage we're rich by third world standards without a doubt every one of us so i say all that to preface this message that we're going to look at this morning from the book of james because normally without such prefacing comments you and i can take a passage of scripture like this and completely set it aside and say, well, it doesn't apply to me because I am not rich. But I think we just established the fact uh, that you are. So the title of my message today is The Final Audit. What did I do with my wealth? And I want to show you this passage of Scripture because it's extremely interesting. I was telling my son-in-law, who's a pastor yesterday, I said, you know, you never really deal with a passage of Scripture like this. You don't look at it because it's not very applicable until you're preaching through a book. And when you're preaching through a book of the Bible and you have to look at every verse and every word, you begin to see some, some things that you've never seen before. I would suggest to you that you'll see things in this passage of Scripture today that you've never seen, and you might be shocked at how they apply to you. Remember, James is writing to a group of believers... And he's challenging them to see whether or not their faith is genuine. He's putting their faith on trial. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. This is chapter 5, verse 1, if you're following along your Bible. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of, the, of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. 
You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous, or the righteous man, or the righteous one. We don't really know exactly how that ought to be translated because there's just one word, righteous, and he does not resist you. Now we've been considering this book of James under this major heading of faith on trial in every aspect of our life we have seen comes under the scrutiny of the judge. Our relationships in the church, when there are quarrels and conflicts, the way we use our tongue, when we say we have faith but there's nothing to back it up in our life, our life is not, it's not showing up in our life, trials, temptations, uh, uncertainty, all put our faith on trial, and that comes to all of us. So as James begins this final chapter, speaking to those who have faith, he is looking ahead to judgment day. There will be a day of judgment, and on that day, I will give an account for what I did with my wealth and you for what you did with yours. And as I already said, lest you say these verses don't apply to you, I think we've already established the case that even if you are a poor American, you are rich by the standards of most of the rest of the world, and so whether you have a dollar or a million dollars, you will stand before God to give an account for how you used it. Now remember, the setting of these verses is the day of judgment. So here are the points to the message. Number one, at the final audit, I will give an account for not only what I did with my wealth, but when I did it. Pay special attention to the second part of verse 3. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. That money that you have in your pocket this morning, you made it in the last days. You are also spending it in the last days. Therefore, when you stand before God in judgment, you will give an account and I will give an account for not only how we spend it, but when we spend it. You are living, and I, we're living in the last days. Our lives are on trial before God. God is going to hold us accountable for what He's given us, whether that be a dollar or a million dollars or just a cup of cold water that was in our power to give. Not only will I be accountable for what I did with my wealth, I will be accountable for when I did it. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. And as you know, <clears throat> the times or the circumstances in which we live uh, all change the way we value material things. In other words, if it's in a time of crisis, money is not nearly as important uh, as it was before. It just falls by the wayside. If, if it's in a time of war, then we, can be, we have to be meager with our resources. Some of you lived, grew up during the days of World War II at least, and you remember having to pinch pennies and understanding the value of what was important depending on the times and depending on the circumstances. Number two, on Judgment Day, the final audit will determine whether I depended on my wealth to sustain me or whether I depended on God. The rich, and I remind you by the standards of the majority, 
of people in this world, nearly every person in this room is rich. R.V.G. Tasker, in a commentary he wrote on this passage of Scripture, said, The rich are nearly always self-deceived by thinking that their present prosperity will be permanent. Isn't that the way you think? You're thinking right now that the money I've got in the bank, I'll always have in the bank. That nest egg I'll have, I'll always have it. I'm going to keep it. That investment I've made will always draw interest. It will always do better. I'll always be better off, or at least as well off as I am right now. That's our hope. That's our dream. So <clears throat> the Bible says in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18, speaking of the day of judgment, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In other words, there's going to be a judgment day come, and I can't say to God, well, God, I've got money in my pocket. Can I buy my way out? Can I pay my way out? You know, I'll never forget a day <clears throat> that uh, when I lived in George County back in my 20s, and I was a pastor, but I was a young-looking fellow, you know, then. I had hair, and I looked a little, I was just, I looked like I could get in a little trouble. So I went to make a visit to a man in this community up in the Loosedale area, and uh, I, I, I knocked on his door, and I was making a pastoral visit because some of his family were in my church, and he was in law enforcement, and he said, Son, what kind of trouble are you in? How can I help you get out of it? He thought I was in some kind of difficulty. What did I need to do to get out of a little bit of trouble? Well, on that day when we stand before God, the one true judge, there will be no way to get out of that difficulty. A man on his deathbed finds his saving account to be of little value. Gold loses its, loses its luster, and silver has lost its reputation in his heart. It can't help a dying man. So it'll be on the day of judgment when God examines the heart's of those who clutch their wealth for security. Uh, they will, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 19, they will fling their silver into the streets and their gold will become an abhorrent thing. You ever had something in your hand? I, I tell the story sometimes about one of my little daughters who uh, chased her sister through the yard, throwing rabbit pills at her. You know what rabbit pills are? Rabbit pills, rabbit doo-doo. And she had her pocket stuffed with rabbit pills, and my, the, her older sister was screaming, running through the yard, my sister is throwing rabbit pills at me. And I said to the other daughter, I said, do you know what rabbit pills are? And she said, no what? And I told her, and suddenly she started digging them out of her pocket and ran and washed her hands. Well, that's the picture the Bible says. One day, gold is going to be an abhorrent thing. I can't believe I've got this in my hand. They will, they will fling their silver into the streets, and their gold will become an abhorrent thing. Their silver and their gold, Ezekiel 7, 19, will not be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. That's two verses of Scripture, one in Zephaniah and one in Ezekiel that say exactly the same thing. Thus, James tells us in verse 1 of chapter 5, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. This is the gavel of the judge falling and declaring us guilty for depending on our wealth rather than depending on God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, 
No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus said that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Those who serve God and trust God will find Him to be a refuge in the day of judgment. Those who serve wealth will be bankrupt, not only financially, but spiritually. When they stand before God, they will have no help and no helper. This is what the Bible tells us. Number three, on judgment day, the final audit will determine whether it will determine if I withheld for myself what God placed into my hands for the benefit of others. In other words, some of that money that you have in your pocket is not yours. Did you know that? It's not mine. Do you know that? Have you ever had one of those moments where, uh, well, somebody told me the other day, and I can't think of who it was. Maybe it was one of you. They told me about a moment that, that uh, ah, I tell you, it was, it was Wednesday night. Uh, and a young man told me, he said that uh, he, he uh, gave someone something, a needy person something, out of his own pocket. And that someone offered him just after that, the next day, a reward of an equal amount for doing something for them. Isn't it interesting how God can give us what we need when he knows we need it, and how some of the things he puts in our hands, he puts in our hands for us to give away. It wasn't meant just for us. It was meant for us to use for his glory, for his honor. Chapter 5, verse 4 of James. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of of the Lord of Sabaoth. What does this mean? Well, it was clearly commanded in the Word of God in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. In other words, in those days, if a man worked for you that day, you paid him that day because he needed that money at the end of that day so that he could provide food for his family. Deuteronomy 24, 15, You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin in you. So that person needed their daily wage. He worked today so he could feed himself and his family for that day, and by withholding that money, that person was breaking the law of God he was oppressing a poor man, and it was sin against God. God placed something in his hand for the benefit of someone else, and he was to let it go. And if he held on to it, it was sin in that person's life. Now, what are you holding on to that doesn't belong to you? What are you clinging to that ought to belong to God, that ought to honor God, that ought to be advancing his kingdom? God holds you and me accountable for how we use our wealth. It is God's gift to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. An interesting verse. I remember the first time I saw it. I saw it underlined in one of my staff members' Bibles. I never had seen this verse before in all my life. It's not one of those that you commit to memory, but this is what it says. Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He, it is He who is giving you 
the power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. You got the gift of making money? You know where you got it? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, withholding it from Him or from those who need it more than you dishonors God. When we have money in the bank or in our pocket that should be honoring God, the Bible says that money cries out as a witness against us it is a witness against you now, and it'll be a witness against you on the day of judgment. The Bible also makes it clear that when that needy person goes home at night, look at that verse, and they cry out to God in their misery because of your oppression, the one who hears their cry is the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth is not Sunday. It's not the Sabbath day. It's not the Jewish Sabbath. That's not what that word means at all. We look at that word and we think, well, it's just the New Testament spelling of the word Sabbath. That's not what it is at all. It means, Sabaoth means the armies of heaven. He is the Lord of the armies of heaven. And if I, if I misuse my wealth, if someone is hurt by it, or it dishonors God, the one who commands the armies of heaven can dispatch a battalion of destroying angels to come and take retribution. Man, how did my business fail all of a sudden? How did all of this just fall apart? Where did all my blessings go? Well, let me tell you what, God can take them away in one fell swoop. This is one of the harshest passages of Scripture in the New Testament. And it is levied against those of us who've been blessed by God with resources that He expects us to use for His glory. Now, I want to remind you of the first point. At the final audit, I will be held accountable not only for what I did with my wealth, but when I did it, because I'm earning it and spending it in the last days. And also, at the final audit, I'm going to be examined for whether I depended on my wealth to sustain me or if I depended on God. And I'm going to be examined for whether or not I held in my own hand and I clung to what should have been used for the benefit of someone else. And finally, at the final audit, those who choose to cling to their wealth rather than God will find the day of judgment to be a day of slaughter. You notice that word in that passage of Scripture? Slaughter. Verse 5, the last word, slaughter. At the final audit, when you're weighed in the balances before the bar of God's justice, those who choose to cling to their wealth rather than cling to God, to honor themselves and fatten themselves with their wealth rather than honoring God and blessing the needy will find the day of judgment to be a day of slaughter. Well, you know where that word comes from. Perhaps you can recall the days when it was time to shut up the old hog. You know, we're going to shut up the hog and we're going to feed it corn. Every day the farmer goes out, and blesses the hog with corn. The, ho the hog is glad to eat. Eats all he can, all he wants. Never looks up to see the face of the farmer who brings it. Day after day, the farmer comes with that bucket of corn. And day after day, the hog eats growing fatter and fatter. 
And then the, the farmer comes one day uh, to, the, to the pen and the hog says, I'm going to get blessed with some more corn today. And you know what that day is? That's judgment day for the hog. It's not feeding day. It's hog killing day. That's the picture we have here in the scripture. And God uses that very picture of those who never raise their heads in acknowledgement of a holy God who blessed them, who never honor God with their wealth, who have no conscience toward needy souls in faraway lands for whom the dollar in the rich man's pocket would buy a Bible or send a missionary. Now verse 6 is a very strange reference when we look at it because depending on which translation you read it from, one seems to indicate that oppressing the poor by withholding your wealth sentences him to death. Somebody's dying in this world today because I had some money that I should have given and I didn't give it. We know that's a fact. We know it's a fact. Somebody could be blessed by something I have in my pocket right now. There's somebody somewhere, even if it's a dollar, if it's just a dollar. And another seems to indicate the one oppressed, depending on which translation, is Christ himself but either way it's translated the meaning is the same because jesus said in the new testament inasmuch as you've not done it unto one of the least of these you've not done it unto me so the day of the final audit will come when you and i will stand before god we'll all stand before god uh, before the judgment seat of christ the bible says and give an account for the deeds done in the body whether they be good or bad there were three wealthy men in the New Testament. We don't know their names. We don't have a clue about who they were. Three wealthy men. They saw a star. You know that story? And they traveled miles to bring their treasure and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Where is the gift of the Magi? Where is it? Anybody have any clue about where it might be? I mean, what happened to the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh? How did Mary and Joseph use it? I, we don't know. But we know this. It's still honoring God. It has not rusted or rotted. The treasure of the Magi, the wise men, laid at the feet of Jesus, has been drawing interest in the bank of heaven from that day to this, what are you doing with your wealth? What will be the testimony of how you have used what God has placed into your hands on the day of judgment? Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3. And now what will you do in the day of punishment and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Dr. Landrum Level, who was the president for many years at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, he would say something from time to time that always haunted me, and I can still hear him saying it. I can see him standing in the chapel saying it. He said, on that day, when all your friends come to recognize you for that one last time, and they pass by to pay their last respects. 
all you can hold in your cold, dead hand is what you've given away. Let's pray. God, we stand before you in judgment, and the gavel falls, and we're all guilty of not doing the best with what we have in honoring you. Help us, Lord, to readjust our lives and our priorities so that we can live the life that you want us to live and so that on the day of judgment, our living and our giving would have brought glory to your name. 